welcome to Supernatural Podcast episode number 67 for Family Remains. The episode was written by Jeremy Carver and directed by Kim Manners. It originally aired in the U.S. on January 15th, 2009. Let's move into the synopsis with Kristen and Annie. Recap for Season 4, Episode 11, Family Remains. The episode opens with a man sitting down to watch TV. The power goes off, and he tries to investigate the problem, but the door is locked. Another door opens, and out comes a ghost-white girl. The man recognizes her and yells at her to stay away. The girl murders the man in cold blood. Dean is looking over research for a case in the Impala. Sam wakes up from a nap in the back seat. He says they just finished a job two hours ago. Sam reveals that Dean has had them chasing cases for a month straight. He says he's running from what Dean told him. Dean decides to ignore that, and they head off to their new case, which involves a man who was murdered in a locked house with no signs of forced entry. Sam agrees it sounds like a ghost. The boys pick the lock and enter the empty house. Something is watching them from inside the walls. In the kitchen, Dean finds a recently plastered area, and Sam says it looks like a dumbwaiter shaft. The boys check out a bedroom, and there's EMF all over the place. Dean notices that there are power lines outside. That could be messing with the EMF. The new owners of the house show up. A husband and wife, and a boy and a girl, and their uncle Ted. Sam and Dean pose as county code inspectors and tell the family that the house is uninhabitable. The family leaves to stay at a hotel for the night. The boys visit Mr. Gibson's maid's house. She said that she found him in bits all over the place. She tells them that he was a very private man and that he had experienced tragedy in his life. His wife died in childbirth and his daughter hung herself at age 20. She shows them pictures of the daughter and Mr. Gibson and his wife. She said she never noticed anything out of the ordinary but sometimes heard rustling in the walls. The wife and the daughter were both cremated. The family sneaks back into the house while Sam and Dean are gone. Uncle Ted inspects the house himself and says there is no gas leak or asbestos in the walls, like the boys said. While the family is unpacking, the daughter, Kate, sees the girl in the window. She convinces herself that it was nothing. Danny, the son, is up in his room playing a video game. His closet door creaks open on its own and a baseball rolls out. Danny asks who it is and introduces himself. He rolls the ball back into the closet. This time the ball is thrown out overhand. The parents are talking in the kitchen. The husband says they need to be happy in this new place. The wife says she can't put the kids through another year like the last. Uncle Ted calls them in from the kitchen and sees something written on the wall in the living room. It says, Go, in big red letters. It is written in crayon, and the father assumes it was Danny who did it. Danny says he didn't do it. He says, The girl on the walls did it. She wants you to go and me to stay. He says she hates grown-ups. The parents do not believe him and order him to his room. The daughter, Kate, is sleeping in her bed. Something comes into her room and starts panting. She soothes what she thinks is the dog and puts her hand down to touch him. He licks her hand, but then the other door to her room opens and it's the dog. She screams. The boys show up at the front door. They heard screams. Dean tries to tell the family they are in danger, and then the power goes out. They hear distant yelping from the dog and leave the house to see what's going on. A trail of blood leads up to the moving truck where it's written, Too Late, in the dog's blood. 
Sam says they have to get out of there and head to the nearest motel. They go to the cars, but all the tires are slashed. The guns have vanished from the trunk of the Impala as well. Dean yells, What kind of ghost messes with a man's wheels? Kate screams when she sees the ghost in the woods. The boys decide it's best for everyone to stay inside together. The boys create a salt ring in the living room and tell the family that if they stay inside the ring, they will be safe from ghosts. Sam shows the pictures of Mr. Gibson's family to Kate and Danny, and they identify his daughter as the girl in the walls. Sam thinks that the spirit may be attached to something in the house, and offers to go to the attic where she hung herself and check it out. Uncle Ted is not buying any of this. He says it's not a ghost, just a backwoods hillbilly bitch, and he's not going to wait around to get killed. Dean threatens him with a gun and puts him back in the circle. After the family waits in the circle for a while, the girl enters. She comes toward the circle with a knife in her hand. Dean tells everyone to stay calm and that because she's a ghost, she can't come in the circle, but she easily crosses the salt line. Dean knows that she's not a ghost. Everyone runs outside while Dean fends her off with a steel rod. Sam shows up and shines a flashlight into her eyes, and she backs off. The boys are completely baffled that she's human. Dean wonders if it's the daughter. Maybe she didn't hang herself, but Sam counters that she'd have to be around 50 years old by now. Dean asks if Sam found anything of worth in the attic, but he said there was only junk and the daughter's diary. They round up the family, but they can't find Danny. The husband tries to get his wife and daughter to leave, but they don't want to go out there alone. Dean says that the best place for them to be is in the shed. It's boarded up with only one door. Uncle Ted and Dean go inside the house and try to find the girl. Dean rips some loose paneling off the wall. He says, she's human. She had to come from somewhere. Dean and Ted enter the walls and investigate it. They come to a hole in the floor. Dean decides to go down alone. He finds the remains of the dog and some rats. Dean's poking around, and things are way too quiet. Ted turns around, and the girl appears, screams, and plunges a knife through his neck. Dean enters the shed where everyone else is hiding. He has to tell the family that Ted is dead. Dean says he shouldn't have left him alone, and that he's very sorry. Dean leaves, and the husband has to talk sense into his wife. She's convinced that the girl killed her son as well as her brother. The husband says Danny is not dead. He remembers what Danny said about the girl who lived in the walls. She said that he could stay. He says that when they find Danny, the family is going to be fine. Later, Dean asks about their son, Andy. Their oldest son died in a car accident, and they moved out to the country to get a fresh start. Dean promises that he will get his son, Danny, back. Sam was reading The Hanged Girl's Diary and comes to Dean saying they need to talk. Sam is pretty sure that the girl who's trying to kill them was the hanged girl's daughter. Mr. Gibson impregnated his daughter, and she was ashamed of her pregnancy. Mr. Gibson threatened to lock up the baby where no one could ever see it. The girl has never really seen light. She's been locked up for years. Dean knows how they can find her. She had to eat, so the father must have fed her using the dumbwaiter. Danny wakes up tied up in the basement. He sees the girl come out of a hole in the bottom of the wall. She comes at him with a rat and breaks its spine in front of him, and then proceeds to eat it. Danny screams against his gag. Dean goes down the dumbwaiter shaft. Dean finds some of his guns in the inspection of the basement. He whispers for Danny as he looks around with the flashlight. He hears Danny screaming against the gag and cuts the ropes off of him. 
Danny tells Dean to hurry, that he's coming back. The girl has got a brother. The brother attacks Dean. Meanwhile, the mother and Kate are in the shed. The mother is soothing her daughter when someone breaks through the boarded-up window. They move away from the window and stare at the opening, waiting for something to happen. A knife is inserted into the boards to their backs. The girl breaks down the door and lands on top of the mom. Just as the girl is about to get to the mother, the girl is dragged out by her feet and stabbed to death. Dean is wrestling with the brother. Sam and the dad pull Danny up the dumbwaiter shaft by rope. Dean takes out his gun and shoots the boy a few times through the abdomen. Sam goes down to the basement to help Dean, but Dean has already killed the boy. At daybreak, the family gives the boys a head start out of town before they call the police. Sam asks if the family is okay, and they say they're very far from okay, but they're together and they will get through it. The boys park the Impala on the side of a country road to eat lunch. Sam hands Dean his burger, but Dean looks at it and decides he's not hungry. Sam knows something is wrong. Dean says he felt for the kids in the house. Their existence was a lot like his time in hell. Sam thinks it's not quite the same thing. But Dean says he's worse than them. He said he tortured souls for the sheer pleasure. All those years of pain and finally getting to deal some out himself helped him forget his own anguish. No matter how many people he saves, he'll never be able to fill the hole inside him. Not ever. So I would give this episode a... B. I thought it was one of the creepiest episodes that Supernatural has ever had. Uh, It was really suspenseful. If I hadn't been watching it with four girls who were talking throughout the whole thing, I probably would have been more scared. But when I watched it the second time by myself, it creeped the hell out of me. Um, Other than that, though, the plot was a little shaky. I thought it, it, it was kind of formulaic and... You could kind of expect what was going to happen next. But I I did think it was um, a pretty cool little scary story. So, a B is my grade. I'd probably agree a B or a B plus. I think a lot of the same things. I think it was very creepy, especially because this is only the second time they've done an episode where it was humans and not a supernatural creature. Demons I get. Humans are crazy. This is Kristen. And this is Annie. Thanks for listening. That was a great recap. Let's move into analysis and theories in my discussion with Josh. Hi, this is Ellen. And this is Josh. And we're back. Yay! Yay! We're back, and we're talking about kind of an interesting episode today. Before we begin, we do have a bit of sad news. For those of you who haven't been reading your Supernatural news lately, Kim Manners, executive producer and director in Supernatural, died this past weekend on January 25th of lung cancer. He was 59. He was well-respected in the business, loved by fans of the X-Files and Supernatural, but he worked on Charlie's Angels, 21 Jump Street, many other projects going back to 1978. He's also from a family of show business And Eric Kripke has been um, put out a press release. And he said everyone at Supernatural is walking around in a daze, shocked and absolutely devastated. Um, That Kim was a brilliant director. More than that, he was a mentor and friend. And, you know, Kim was one of my favorite directors, and I'm really going to miss him. And if you want to express your condolences, donations are made in Kim's honor to the American Cancer Society. You know, Kim was really one of the masterminds behind the show, and he is what Eric Kripke is 
called a patriarch. And it's, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the show. And it's just really sad. It was such shocking news. I didn't even know he was sick. Me either. I was, I was shocked as well. And, and it's really sad to lose someone who has such a big effect on this show and other shows that, that we've all loved. Kim Manners actually directed this episode that we're going to talk about Family Remains. So it's, uh, it's timely and sad, but um, anyway, we should probably just try to wrap up the sad news because it's making me really sad, and let's go into the episode. Sounds like a plan. Overall, what did you think? Overall, I thought it was a very creepy episode that was a little bit of a throwback to season one with all the misdirection and the hint of an urban legend. Definitely. I agree with that. I thought, you know, the thrills and chills alone made it for an enjoyable episode, if you like that kind of thing. That's true. You know, I like that it had some nice plot twists and there was a lot of brother interaction. I thought the writing was really good. Um, Again, though, there wasn't really enough time to develop the whole story, in my opinion. That's true. It was very much a full movie, really jam-packed in there. That's often what... What you see is supernatural. It's very cinematic, and, and a lot of times that leads, leads it to feeling compressed and needing for more time. But I think that it was, you're right, it was very creepy, and it was a nice little twist in there with the, the children and what's going on with them. So um, moving into what I liked, I think it reminded me of the film The Messengers, starring Christian Stewart. It's, um, I think it's a 2006 film, 2007, something like that. And the same kind of thing happened. A family who moves out of the city, they're disgruntled, there's been tragedy in their family, and they move out to the country to a farm thinking that everything will be better, and there are ghosts in the house. And although the plot twists are different, it's, um, it just it seems so similar to me, which was kind of nice. Well, that's good. At least it was. It starts out similar to like Cold Creek Manor, but I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to compare it to that film. <laughs> Yes, me too. But I, I, I really enjoyed the scares mostly, as far as what I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, the little girl was a creepy antagonist, but not in the quiet, spooky way that they usually have little girls on the show. She was more, you know, I'll stab you to death, frightening. <laughs> yeah, and they did a great job with her costume and her makeup and stuff. She really was creepy. It was like watching The Ring for the first time. You're like, whoa, that girl is really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one was too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, you know, there's something inherently <laughs> creepy about being in a new house, especially an older one. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then out in the country, yeah. nothing around you. And <laughs> it's quiet. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was, and that house, well, it needed a little, uh, shall we say, renovation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Not just slapping on a coat of paint. Yeah, not really. Um, and the urban legend at the beginning, but the humans can lick too. Yes. I was so glad to see a return to the urban legend. And actually, Eric Kripke has said that that is his favorite urban legend. So oh, he has. It was a nice little, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that one. And I like how they just threw it in there. And it was almost an afterthought, kind of. You know, it's like, oh, let's just throw it in there and just never talk about it again. But um, <laughs> it, it was great. It was just, you know, added, I think, to the creepiness and the, it just hit you right at the beginning. This is different. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think that... It was one of those moments where it was gross and you knew what was going on. You expected the dog to come through the door, but it's still super creepy. And, and also, you know, 
the one thing I didn't suspect, and we kind of hinted on this earlier, is the big twist that it wasn't something supernatural. You know, I didn't see that coming. I didn't either. I just thought it was just going to be, okay, it's another ghost, now what? You know, how what twist are they going to do on the ghost legend this time? You know, which ghost is it? What type? And I'm all like jumping all over that. And then she walks through the circle and I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is not a ghost. <laughs> and even even then I thought, well, it's some other kind of supernatural being. Yeah, like a witch or a, you know, something or other. Something we haven't seen yet. Exactly. Yeah, that was cool. And I um, I liked that they did refer back to humans. You know, Dean kept saying, oh, it's humans. That's come up before, like in the Benders. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, or the crazy people, the crazy family. This one was different. I'm glad that they made a differentiation between crazy bits of human but this one also had a very dark lining, which we'll get to in a moment. Very dark. But very cool. I liked the twist. I did too. I didn't know if – I couldn't recall if it ever dealt with a straight-up human bad guy that wasn't using magic of some kind. Yeah. The only, you know, only time I can think of that it was a straight-on bad human was in the Benders. Right. You know, there wasn't somebody manipulating something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like a Grim Reaper or <laughs> right something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the family. I think it's important to talk about them because you, know, you kind of think of them just as these little bit characters. But we don't see the boys really being that honest and letting the people in quite as much as they did on this one. I mean, it was a whole group of people that they let in on their secret and let them participate. Like, that was a big thing. They're not law enforcement or anything. <laughs> and they weren't, you know, it wasn't some random girl that they were saving either. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. And they were a lot more fleshed out and, than the usual side characters. Definitely. And Uncle Ted was probably my favorite character, just because of how his interaction was so snarky with Dean and... There was so much butting of heads. <laughs> and he happened to be in construction and knew what he was talking about. <laughs> right. And, and these random dudes are telling you that your house is condemned or uninhabitable. And so you've got to be super suspicious of him. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he didn't fall to their charms like most people did. Yeah, that's true. They really were very skeptical. But they're not single women with children or something. It was an entire family, a family group that was very close. Right. So I suppose that made a difference. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of served as a parallel to the turmoil that Dean and Sam are going through right now. I mean, the family has endured a trauma. They have trouble getting past mm -hmm. it. But then they face this horrible thing, and it kind of shows them that the bonds of family are strong enough to hold them together. And hence the title, Family Remains. <laughs> Because it, it's for both. You know, both families are, like you said, very parallel in a lot of ways, except, well, one is dealing with the supernatural their whole lives, and one just has a glimpse. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it still had, you know, trauma in the family. Yeah, and I thought it was nice to have Supergirl as the guest star. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd seen her before, but until I went and looked it up. I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, and it was nice to see Helen Slater, even if she didn't have any superpowers, which is kind of unusual for a guest star on this show these days. Especially Supergirl, no powers. Right. It's kind of unfair. I know, right? <laughs> it went for the unexpected. 
Well, I, you know, this kind of went along with the, the twist, but they had kind of two twists. One, that it was human, and then the second twist, that she had an accomplice. And I didn't see yes. that coming either. But it, it, <laughs> Me either. It really helped make the episode more believable because you start to wonder, how is she getting around so fast for just a regular person? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've made the comparison a million times, and I'm sure a million others have as well. But this episode also reminded me of another X-Files episode. With the inbred family terrorizing Mulder and Scully in the house. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, you have to. It's really, really traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, iron- the, the, the irony on that is I was going to mention that in the references section on the rest of the podcast. Oh. Because, here we go. In an interview with Sci-Fi Magazine, Kripke said, You know, we want to make an episode like The X-Files Home. Let's make an episode that the network will air once and then people will complain so much they'll never air it again. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really glad you brought that up. That's hilarious. (laughs) Because Kripke had the same thing in mind. (laughs) It wasn't quite as bad as having Mother rolled out from under the bed, but still, this episode was plenty dark. Yeah. And the housekeeper in this episode, Mrs. McCurry, was played by Karen Conneville, who also played the mother in that X-Files episode. Oh, really? Yes. That's pretty awesome. See, you just can't help but enjoy all the inside tidbits like that. And the Kim Manners was, you know, I think he directed like 50-some X-Files episodes. Right. And here he directed this one. (laughs) That's great. It all comes full circle. (laughs) There were a lot of things to like, but then I started looking at my did not like. It seemed quite long, but I think it's just because I'm so nitpicky. (laughs) You know, and I think, oh, let's start with the big, you know, 800-pound gorilla, the incest (laughs) storyline. I can't imagine the network was all that pleased when they got this one handed to them. But I personally didn't have any problem with it. And ironically, on the boards, nobody's really talking about it. Like, nobody's offended or, you know, discussing it or posting metas or anything. So I think the fans are totally cool with it. But I'm not sure controversy like this draws in new viewers. That's a good question. I I was wondering about that myself. At this point in the series, where you're this far along and this far in depth into it, how much attention can you pay to drawing in new people? And how Mm -hmm. much attention is just paid to keep the ones that you've got? That's true. But I think you're right. It's interesting that it is so controversial. And and along the same lines, it's kind of showing – they made the, the human bad guy episode so horrible that it shows what kind of monsters people can be. They don't have to be supernatural. You know, Dean wasn't a supernatural person or a demon or a monster, and he ended up torturing people and enjoying it. And then this horrible yeah. family situation leads to this deranged duo that are stabbing people and just <laughs> – the general yuckiness of human beings. Yeah, this is the you want to wash your hands clean and walk away episode, I suppose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. <laughs> not necessarily not the incest part. Don't get me wrong. I don't <laughs> right. condone that. It's not what I meant. I just meant that there were so many layers to this episode. <laughs> there were. And it's not – yeah, it's like you said. It's something you just want to wash your hands clean of. And it's funny because all of the blood and gore of the monsters isn't near as gross as stuff like that. The half-eaten rat. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Very nice. You know, and so I put that in my do not like, but I'm pretty impartial. You know, I'm Switzerland on that one, I suppose. (laughs) 
So I just thought, you know, I'd throw it out there because, you know, a lot of people might have a problem with it. I'm pretty neutral. I thought in this case they handled it very well. I think that that kind of leads into one of my do not like lists. And it as horrible as those kids were trapped in the walls or those people were trapped in the walls, it felt really terrible that they got killed. And I, don't, I didn't know how to feel about that because they weren't monsters. They were pretty much victims. So it just seemed a big jump for me to see Sam and Dean hunting and killing humans that aren't demon-possessed. That is true. You know, I, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it in those terms. But, you know, I had this conversation, a very similar one with my mom the other day. We were talking about people who are, were victims of trauma, like um, abuse, when they were children and how that cycles And in this case, you know, they they acted out because they just, I mean, there was no outlet. They didn't have an escape. Yeah. They just They were animals. I mean, they were raised like animals. Yeah. But at the same time, they were killing innocent people. Right. So how much of that can you feel sorry for before, you know, you think perhaps maybe just, I mean, do they know they aren't supposed to kill people or are they food or... Like, what are they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess that's what was so hard to swallow because it's it's almost merciful for them to be killed off in some ways. You know, because yeah. then if they were caught and sent to an institution, maybe they would have a chance there. But I guess that's true. what really struck me was that, you know, Sam used to have such a big deal about not killing the people that were demon-possessed and all these humans that are involved and innocent victims and so it just seemed really weird to have this jump to them killing these two. That's true. I mean, they clearly were bad people. <laughs> right. But how much of that can you really blame on the children? Exactly. I mean, in fighting for your life and self-defense, of course, you know, that's part of it as well. Wow. That's, that's kind of a tough one. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> there's no right answer. <laughs> it's a big, gray, messy end to this episode. And I'm sure they meant yeah. it that way. You know, it kind of... I mean, on the note, I, I know we were meant to sympathize with them, but I just didn't really connect with the characters, with the two kids. I mean, I get, yeah, they were victims, you know, like we were talking about, but I just, you know, I don't know. I just didn't really go to that side well, and say, oh, poor children. <laughs> I just couldn't help it. I'm like, Ugh, just kill them. They're, they're killing everybody else. It's self-defense. Just kill them. <laughs> well, I think that's good. I think if they would have put too much in there that made us connect with them, it would have made it a really yucky episode. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, in 42 minutes, it's just way too right. much to handle. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that moves into a, my biggest do not like about this episode was the lack of realism. Okay, living in the walls, really? How did they go unnoticed <laughs> with people living in the walls? Like the contractor who covered up the dumbwaiter. And, and how do they get around? Those walls aren't that big. What about the smell? Definitely the smell factor. I think most, they probably tried to explain the rest of the way with the underground hiding area. Yeah. I mean, I imagine maybe the kids left and went and hid if people came in the house. Mm-hmm. Or they just stayed in their little hiding place that they'd found or something or other. But... If you went into a place that smelled that badly, wouldn't you start investigating? Yeah, and and the dude who got killed at the beginning, did he not see that coming? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) if he knew they were alive in there, living in the wall somewhere, or living underneath, 
Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed really, really far-fetched for me. And, you know, I know this is supernatural, <laughs> but even Wendigos seem a bit more real than <laughs> this did. <laughs> it was pretty horrible. Well, it, uh, that's what the most unreal thing to me was them being able to empty out the Impala so quickly. That, and slash all the tires. <laughs> without anybody noticing, yeah. Carry all that equipment in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like up and vanished. That's why I, I had no idea, really, that a, a human did that, let alone a kid. Wait, they carrying a backpack? I mean, what's the deal? Like, how did they literally leave nothing there? They had a wheelbarrow. That's, yeah, wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> and that stuff is heavy. If you're trying to carry all those weapons at once, mm-hmm. it's not like the heads are down there lifting weights. I mean, come on. <laughs> They're mounted jurors. <laughs> oh, that was mount. Never mind. They didn't eat well. So malnutrition. Thank you. Malnourished and malnutrition. I tried That's to the combine word. the two. Doesn't work. Nice word. <laughs> hey, it's you can make it up. I don't mind. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, this this episode there was just I mean, they tried to lighten it up with some funny moments and some funny quotes. But it just was really dark. <laughs> All the way around. Oh yeah, cuz and we <laughs> This gets into the other thing that I, I don't know. Okay, I don't know if I have a problem with this. I'm still on the fence. But mm-hmm. they're dealing with Dean's emotional state rather heavy-handedly. Yes. I, and I know we've talked about this before. The guy gets out of hell, and the first thing he does is you know grab a porn magazine. And <laughs> granted, I'm not sure about all the particulars of post-traumatic stress syndrome or disorder or anything like that. So... There might be a delay there, but imagine to me if he was so broken up about what he did that the first thing he would have done would be like, you know, crying and begging for forgiveness as opposed to acting like flippant Dean that we've seen up until his confession. Yeah, you know, and Jensen was trying to explain that off, which we talked about in a past episode. But yeah, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. I mean, he he doesn't know why he's alive. He crawls out of the ground and buys some porn and doesn't tell Sam anything for, I don't know, what, months? Right. Whatever time frame we're looking at here. It just, you know, that I actually moved that into my questions and speculation. How long is Dean going to go on about this time in hell? Seriously. I, I, I mean, I get it. <laughs> he confessed. He's a little too emo right now. But come on. It's just... I get, I get it. You know, we waited a long time. Now we know. You know, who knows how someone in that situation would really act? But he seems really broken up about it all of a sudden. And I just find it hard to believe that it took one confession, and then they hint in this episode that it's been a long time since we last saw them. So, since his confession to Sam last time, up until now, he's still brewing over it, but didn't deal with it at all before that. Yeah, you know, and we aren't really seeing any symptoms of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. It's you see a lot of characters on TV and movie with it. You know, they're more withdrawn. They don't want to talk about it. They have flashbacks and, and memories, and you know, it's something they kind of go through. And maybe we just haven't seen it. You know, Dean waking up screaming or something. But I don't know. Sam just seems kind of. I don't know, negative, I mean, like, uh, uh, what's the word? Neutral. He's just kind of neutral about it, too. He just listens. Yeah, he seems almost kind of, like, annoyed. And Not that I wouldn't be yeah. feeling, hello, emo Sam for season two. You could have a little <laughs> bit of sympathy. 
three, how much we had to hear about your feelings. Oh, man. <laughs> and that was just because you were going evil. <laughs> Put it in perspective, Sam. <laughs> right. But he does seem almost irritated, like, okay, move on now, Dean. You're not such a bad person. You were in hell, okay? Yeah. I mean, he. it's not – and yeah, sure, Dean did a lot of bad stuff down there, but – can you imagine being there for 30 years and being tortured every day? Yeah, I, exactly. I'm, I'm sure it's very traumatic and you're very sad that you did that to those people, but you were driven crazy after 30 years of torture. Come on, nobody's blaming you. Yeah. And the fact that he liked it, well, I mean, come on, 30 years of torture, don't you want to kind of give back? <laughs> I mean, that's his business. In life, he hunts down stuff and it's kind of a revenge thing. Oh, yeah, and plus, I mean, not to sound insensitive, but who knows how, I don't know how the hell works in this universe, but those people might have been down there for a reason. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the good people are going down there. Right, and people who <laughs> sold their souls like him end up in hell, you know. I guess, you know, he's probably going to be emo for a while, so yeah. I'll just have to deal. <laughs> I guess so. I, and, you know, and like I said, I, I don't know what somebody like that would be actually, how they would be reacting so it's kind of understandable, but I just don't know if the show can survive another emo fest because Sam's almost derailed the season two, you know? Now we're going to have two emo boys. <laughs> you know, it's so hard. to I have a trouble arguing that because I do think somebody who went through what he went through would not be the normal jokey guy that yeah. we see. But I like the normal jokey guy, and he's already been acting that way, so I just don't see what good it's going to do to revert at this point. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I know he's probably putting up, trying really hard to put up his facade, but I don't know. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't suit him. Exactly. Not the Dean that we know. And if he would have come back noticeably changed, it might have been easier to swallow than him making this change Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, but it's like he just woke up and said, okay, back to my old life. Exactly. No, I just have angels around. Cool. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yep. I could be mistaken, but I think Kim Manners director, directed Lazarus Rising, too. Oh, really? I could look that up for y'all, but... That's all right. I'm on it. Oh, almost there. <laughs> it's a race now. Kim Manners. Yep, he did. Ah, you beat me. <laughs> yeah, but that one was written by Kripke. So it was clearly what Eric wanted. <laughs> clearly. He wanted him buying porn. <laughs> he did. He wanted him regular Dean. Yep. Not emo Dean. And and a little bit, okay, total nitpick area alert. So watch out. <laughs> but I thought that they did such a great job on the last scene of the last episode that we saw with the confession. And it was really great acted. By both of them. Mm-hmm. And so it felt a little yes. like cheapened that they kind of had a very similar conversation at the end of this one. Yeah. I mean, what are they just going to do this little end bit on all the episodes now? <laughs> I mean, we saw that a lot in season two where they would just be drinking beer and expressing their feelings. <laughs> and I think we mocked those episodes as well. <laughs> I, you know, I would like to see the actual conversation. Instead, we get this thing at the end of the episode where it's this big, not even a big reveal this time, but a little discussion about feelings or whatever, and then it just ends mm-hmm. with Sam going, hmm. Yeah. And so we don't really <laughs> get anywhere. Yeah, it's like an afterthought. They just throw it on there. And it worked really well. You know, the cliffhanger, the season 
for the you know break in the middle of the season. It worked really well, but yeah. we didn't need to see it again this time. I mean, unless it was more of like a review for people who had forgotten what happened. That's true. It's been a while. I guess for people who have a short-term memory. <laughs> it has been a long while. <laughs> yeah, there's just, I, I don't know, I, I'm on the fence on that too. But I think it just needs to be wrapped up somehow. Yeah. We need to move along. Like, where's Ruby? What's she doing? She's just hanging out, you know. Castiel, are they chilling, having a party or something? Well, <laughs> like, what's going that on? That moves into my other speculation, where what happened in the months between this episode and the last? They've obviously been chasing jobs, but it seemed weird to be so deep in the overarching storyline of the season just to see it completely dropped for a whole episode. That is true, and we can't even blame a writer's strike. <laughs> That's right. I mean, unless they do, uh, you know, like what Sam did with talking about his relationship with Ruby. They're going to go back and explain stuff that was going on, but those never seem to work out quite right. Yeah, and I know they have to fill the season, and they don't want to get to it too soon, but I mean, the last two episodes were knee-deep in Angels and Demons Wars, and the, this episode doesn't even address it. Well, I mean, it's like when they saw the, the demons, you know, when they, came, when they were released from the Devil's Gate. And then we saw the first episode of the season had this like big battle, and then they disappeared for like uh, what was it, four or five episodes? That's right. Before it came up again. I mean, the show is notorious for doing that, but it just doesn't seem right. Like that, there's something big that we're missing. That was, you know, my big question: What happened, and is there a reason why they can? relax right now. They're not relaxing, obviously, but they're not worried about the big world war. Well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we'll find out soon. We always hope. (laughs) And there just wasn't a lot to question or speculate on this one. It was the episode was straightforward. And this little Dean torture fest stuff going on is really about it. That's true. Is is pretty much a standalone. Yeah, and I think you know, in the in the scheme of things, the network may not want to run it as a standalone very often, or ever maybe. But uh, <laughs> it is going to be one of those episodes you could watch without anything else. That's true. I suppose is a good thing. So should we move on to quotes? Sure. Okay, my favorite was Dean say. Boy, three bedrooms, two baths, and one homicide. This place is going to sell like hotcakes. <laughs> Oh, mine was so insensitive, and it doesn't make anybody mad, but it was when Dean said, dog, it's what's for dinner. Oh, I know. I laughed so hard on that one. I felt really bad for their dog. (laughs) Me too. And I'm sure there was a little message at the end of the credits that said, you know, from the Humane Society, no animal was hurt in this episode. (laughs) No dogs were eaten. (laughs) No rats were left half dead. That's right. And my other favorite was Dean again. He got all the good lines. He did. What kind of ghost messes with a man's wheels? <laughs> really, that's just rude. I also liked it when Dean said, please nobody grab my leg. Please nobody grab my leg. Because that's exactly what I would have been thinking. <laughs> He's seen one too many horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Speaking of horror movies, have you seen his? No, did you see it yet? No, I haven't. I want to. Um. One of our contributors, Greg, was going to go see it. So I'll have to check with him and see if he liked That's it. That's right. Um, they're showing it in 3D, but there are a lot of theaters that are showing 2D if you don't want to go that route. I definitely want to do the 3D, so I better hurry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it better run fast because I don't think it's even playing much around here. And I'm in L.A. <laughs> 
It's really sad. <laughs> I was in San Diego last weekend, and um, I wanted to go see Revolutionary Road, and it wasn't playing at the theaters. Oh. I'm like, what's the deal? <laughs> so things are moving really fast. Yep, they don't stay around anymore. Nope. Too many things out right now, I think, is the problem. But uh, Jared's movie, uh, the Friday the 13th, opens up on February 13th. How convenient. It's a Friday. Yes, very convenient, Friday the 13th. So I am definitely going to try to convince somebody to go see that one with me, because I love the Jason movies. I would like to see that one as well. If you guys, (laughs) for My Bloody Valentine, Jensen did the circuit. Of course, you know, the, the talk show circuit. Mm-hmm. And I watched, you know, I TiVo'd him and watched him. And when he was on uh, the Helen Hunt show. That's yeah, still There's on. a show called the Helen Hunt show. And she, I mean, it was like a train wreck. Oh, you mean the Bonnie Hunt you. show? Bonnie Hunt, that's her name. Bonnie Hunt. Man, I am just out of it. Um it was a train wreck. I'm telling oh, you. Oh, no. Okay. I'd, I'd heard him tell the same stories over and over again. How he went to Belize and he didn't um, take the scuba dive, diving training, which is three days. Otherwise, they make you watch a 15-minute video and throw you off the back of the boat. Okay. So I'd heard that story already three times. I'd seen him wear the same outfit twice. And all the same stories. But then when he got on her show, it was totally different. <laughs> In a good way? or She has this, like, well, the set is very girly already. You know, it has, like, you know, framed pictures. You expect her to, like, be doing embroidery when you see that set, right? It's so girly. And then he's sitting there, very uncomfortable. And she starts asking about his family and his his niece or nephew or somebody and, and letters and, that, you know, very family stuff. And you could tell he wanted to talk about the movie. But she didn't, like the whole time. She didn't talk about the movie. She said that, you know, he's on Supernatural and has a new movie. Here's the clip. And I'd already seen that clip like eight times. <laughs> but that was it. Then it was done. Like she spent the whole time talking about how much he misses his family. Wow. And, you know, that he lives in Canada now for most of the year. And I was like, oh, okay, this is... But he was so uncomfortable. If you go to YouTube, I'm sure you'll find it. Wow. It was really funny. <laughs> Bonnie. <laughs> She's out of control. It was, uh, yeah. But he couldn't do the main circuit, you know, Leno, people like that, because the movie is just not a big, splashy blockbuster. Oh, right. So he got the B-grade appearances. Oh. So, you know, I watched them all. They were all okay. Nothing terribly good, but he's just so shy. He didn't really come across as a really excited guest, (laughs) just because he's shy. And I think he did a good job with it. The audience went wild. Every time he walked out and, you know, he'd start to get all nervous. It was, it was very cute. <laughs> but, but that show in particular, wow. <laughs> See, Bonnie, things like that make people confuse you with Helen. I like Helen Hunt. <laughs> I don't know why I confuse her. <laughs> I can't even name anything Bonnie Hunt was on, except that I recognized her from something. I think she, I mean, she's been in a lot of movies, like family movies, romantic comedies, Clearly not. Probably a fan of horror movies. Probably not. Now it's Jared's turn. He's going to be doing the circuit pretty soon. That's right. See if he does better on Bonnie's show. Go on. (laughs) I was just going to say, Friday the 13th is a little bit bigger name than My Bloody Valentine. Exactly. Yeah, and especially when you end a movie with 3D, you're going to eliminate a lot of people right off the bat. (laughs) 
You know, because they're just going to think, oh, what the heck? And it's a remake from, the, you know, a movie that didn't do very well the first time around. We'll see. The trailers, you know, they just didn't look all that great. So I'll try to catch it, but no promises. <laughs> no promises. It's already in my Netflix, though. <laughs> <laughs> so you will watch it eventually. I will watch it, yes. There are very few horror movies that I actually, like, turn off or don't watch, so... But I, I am looking forward to it, just maybe not by myself in the movie theater. <laughs> I see. Because I can't get anyone else to go with me. <laughs> I have tried as well. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, it's 3D? No. I'm like, what? <laughs> Give it a break. So that's what the boys are up to. Well, good for them. For those of you going to Comic-Con in New York, Jared announced that he'll be there for Friday the 13th. So, just a little announcement out there for people. He just signed on this week. Oh, well, tell him I said hi if you do go out there. And moving on to legends and references, there were no legends since there were, well, let's face it, some strange humans in this episode. But we do have some references. Sam and Dean use the aliases Stanwick and Babar in a reference to the 1985 Chevy Chase film Fletch. Dean previously used the alias Alan Stanwick in Season 2, Episode 4, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. And Dean said, aw, we can sleep when we're dead. This refers to the Bon Jovi single released in 1993 entitled I'll Sleep When I'm Dead off their 92 album, Keep the Faith. Once again, proving Bon Jovi can rock on occasion. We have yet another reference to the 1972 film Deliverance about four city boys who go canoeing in the Georgia wilderness and are brutally attacked by locals. Ah, good times. And we have references again to Casper the Friendly Ghost and Scooby-Doo, both cartoon characters. Dean's quote, wow, story ripped from the Austrian headline. This is a reference to the Fritzl case in Austria, where Elizabeth Fritzl was raped, physically abused, and held prisoner by her father, Joseph, for 24 years. She was held in the small, windowless, and soundproof cellar. She gave birth to seven children while being a captive. One died three days after birth, three stayed with their mother in the cellar, and three were raised by their father and his wife in the upstairs home. The former captives are extremely pale and cannot endure natural light. And finally, we have the licked hand. This is an urban legend where a girl goes to sleep with her dog next to her. During the night, she wakes to a noise, but is comforted when the dog licks her hand. In the morning, she wakes to find the dog dead and a note saying, humans can lick too. As far as music goes, there was, well, none in this episode. But the song of the night tonight is Pressure by Paramore, a fantastic band. Check out the website at paramore.net. The song is brought to you tonight by the pod show Podsafe Music Network. Enjoy!
that's it for this episode. New episodes will be released soon, I promise. Come discuss the episodes at our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter as SPN Podcast. The next all-new episode will air this Thursday on The CW. Thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to The Supernatural Podcast. You can visit my website at supernaturalpodcast.blogspot.com or send me an email at supernaturalpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and not of the producers of Supernatural or The CW. Audio clips played on this podcast are property of the CW and no infringement is intended. Some of the music heard here is from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. <laughs>